all of those external things actually don't matter. They don't mean anything about you. All that matters is where you are, who you're with, you're being present in the present moment because that's all you actually have. Like once I sit back and I'm trying to look at myself and take care of myself as if I'm a friend from the outside, I have this new compassion for myself and I'm able to just meet myself where I am. Welcome to Badass Mind and Body. I'm your host, Jesse Wallace, also known as The Bubbly Badass. As a fitness professional, my goal is to empower you through an inspiring message, share intentional conversations with guests, and give you educational tips on how to optimize your lifestyle through a holistic approach to fitness and wellness. My mission is to help you understand how to connect and build a badass mind and body. Let's get to work. the pleasure of speaking with Tara Cook. She is a Nashville personal trainer, model, and creator. We cover a bit about Tara's childhood growing up in an addiction household, using movement, specifically lifting, as a form of healing and an emotional release. We discuss building confidence and empowerment through movement. Today, we share tips on how to set boundaries with ourselves living in a society of hustle culture and how to reframe a scarcity mindset and build an abundance mindset, which in return allows us to live more in the present moment. And stay tuned for part two because there is way more to cover in part two. She and I talked for nearly two hours that I had to separate this episode. I love this conversation so much. There are so many good nuggets and seeds that I really hope you all can take away in the audience today. So first of all, thank you so much for listening. Here is Tara Cook. I'm so glad you've arrived here today. We have a very special guest coming up. But first, if you've been listening, thank you so much. If you could hit that little subscribe button, a little support goes a long way. I would really appreciate it. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can give me a little shout out on social media, on Instagram. Thank you so much for your support. If there are any topics that you want me to cover, if you have any feedback for me, Please don't be afraid to message me on Badass Mind and Body on Instagram. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone. So today, I have the pleasure of sitting with Tara Cook. What I've learned from this girl is that you cannot put her in a box. She's been a model since she was 16 years old. She's been a personal trainer the last few years. But really, she's a creator, designer, writer, and so, so, so much more. And she probably has more coming our way that we don't even know all the tricks up her sleeve. (laughs) She's someone that has experienced a lot in her life, and I've seen her come out on the other side every single time. She has such a big heart and a lot to offer the world. I'm excited to dive into this conversation as we discuss her journey, mindset, and building confidence as a model and trainer, her upcoming projects, and how her trauma and loss has shaped who she is today and how it's shaped her impact that she wants to leave on the world. So Tara, welcome in. Excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. That was a beautiful intro. Most people are just like, oh, this is Tara. She's a personal trainer. So it's really nice to be a human and not just what I do. Everyone is more than they do. And we might have a lot of projects or maybe part of our identity is a little bit in our career, especially if it's something we're passionate about. But also our career doesn't have to be our identity. 
And that's just a good reminder. Mm-hmm. But Tara, I remember when I first met you. So for everyone that doesn't know, I first met Tara at Hotbox maybe four four years ago. Yeah, probably more than that. Probably five. Probably five. Yeah. yeah. And I just remember, I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember you were so sweet. Just Aww. our first interaction. And I thought how sweet and kind you are. And you can just tell just from a few seconds of meeting you that you do really, truly have a big heart and just this light or your aura <laughs> in a I sense. I love that. Tara, you've lived in Nashville your whole life, right? My whole life. Born tell me, raised. born and raised here. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about your childhood. I know you've had a, a tough upbringing, but tell us what it's been like. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to just put obviously everything in a couple of sentences. But I experienced a lot from, you know, growing up in a broken home, just a divorced family or whatever. But my, yeah, so a broken home. I have been in a lot of marriages and divorces, so seven total. Um, So that's a lot in itself. Um, My parents divorced when I was two, so I didn't really know any different in that regard but I would say just growing up in a broken home lots of divorces was confusing as hell lots of siblings from different parents so Mm -hmm. big family Um, just in terms of major things that I experienced the biggest are probably I faced a lot of physical and emotional abuse Um, the physical only really went on for about 10 years but the mental exceeded into my adulthood because it takes so much longer to heal those wounds. And something about the emotional is that you can't see it healing the way that you can with physical wounds. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think definitely abuse. And then that was probably a major source of a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of things I've overcome in my life. Did I forget something? Yeah, there's just a lot. Yeah, and losing my brother. Yeah, you lost really your brother. Hard. And was your mom an addict? My pretty much my whole family actually. Okay. Yeah, that was a big part. It's like weird because when you experience your life in your life, it doesn't seem like anything that crazy until right. you're talking about it. So thanks for reminding me. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a home full of addiction. Mm-hmm. I grew up around a lot of violence. The addiction and the violence brought gangs in my in my home, police all the time, drugs all the time. But it was interesting being young because I didn't know. It's like I, I knew something was going on, and I knew so-and-so didn't seem really with it, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't know exactly why or what it was, so... Um, there was a lot of just overcoming um, things that I didn't realize until I was old enough to look back and be like, oh, they were on drugs. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's why I react this way in certain situations. So, yeah, I, those are the main things. Wow. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things where because it was your childhood, you don't know any different. So you're right. That was your baseline. That was your normal chaos, yeah. uh, addiction, people on drugs. You didn't know what maybe a sane or a secure family looked like. You only knew chaos. Mm-hmm. But my real intriguing question 
for you. How did you not end up in drugs? How What made you different compared to your other siblings or even your own parents and parental figures? What made you different and how did you not end up in drugs yourself? Have you ever even tried drugs? Um. Well, you don't have to answer that question. I can answer. <laughs> I'm I'm open. Okay. I actually so I I never touched drugs my whole life because I saw every all the destruction from them. Um, because yeah, I saw that my entire life. Once I knew, okay, it was drugs. That's what was happening in my family, and that's what I saw all the time. I was like, I want no part in that. The only time I did start smoking because. I had chronic insomnia, and I didn't want to be on antidepressants, um, and that is what... I, I took them for a little bit, and I just decided, you know, I, I don't want to be on that sort of medication, and someone told me, hey, you should just try smoking and see how it is. So, yeah. so that's the only drugs I've ever really done, but yeah. how did I not end up like the rest of my family you know, people ask me that a lot because I think it seems like, well, if you grew up around it and everyone's like that, how are you not? And honestly, I don't think it's just because I'm magnificent or I'm so immune to whatever or I'm so different and amazing. I think for me, my age had a lot to do with it. So like, my oldest brother is six years older than me. My brother that passed away, he was four years older than me. So I I was so young that I didn't understand what was going on. I felt the repercussions and I was confused about it and didn't know how to navigate it on my own. I, yeah, I think growing up, like, when you see adults using or, or whatnot, if you're not old enough to know what's going on, it doesn't affect you the same way as if you did know. And so for my brothers, you know, they they saw what was going on and they knew and, and they got they got that end of it. And so, yeah, I think that's a big reason why I didn't end up using or doing the things that I did. And beyond that, you know, every child, every person, every human is so different mm -hmm. and a lot of people are just more sensitive and pick up on different things. So it's like even if someone grows up in the most seemingly happy home or the parents are together or, or whatever, it could be, you know, your dad just wasn't present mm -hmm. with you emotionally. And that can be enough to send you into a traumatic experience or spiral. So it's, you know... I feel like I went through what I needed to go through to be who I am, to pull up in the world how I am. Yeah. And yeah, I think there was a reason for it. So at least that's what I'm rolling with. But yeah, yeah I don't I don't think it was because I'm just this awesome being. I think the stars aligned um, in that way for me. And yeah, I've been able to reconnect and help mm -hmm. people through it so thank you yeah. for sharing that I know that's a really yeah thank you for sharing that I know that takes a lot of vulnerability to open up that side of you and your story but your story has so much value and impact and it can connect with people in different ways and I love that you 
are open and see that just because someone has what seems like a normal, quote unquote, normal childhood, that doesn't mean that they are perfect or Mm -hmm. have secure attachment styles and relationships or carry any trauma with them. And trauma can come from so many different things. Yes, parental figures, but also what happens around school Mm -hmm. or from other teachers, coaches, other friends. Trauma looks different for everyone. And I know the topic of trauma is something that you're passionate about, especially through your experiences, but you also have a lot of empathy for other people and what they've been through. And you are open to holding space for others, which is so kind of you to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I want that. Yeah. So I try to try to give that, try yeah. to meet people where they are because I, a huge thing that happens with a lot of people because I I was reading this book and it was like, we assume things because we're afraid to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And people oftentimes are afraid of being vulnerable or sharing parts of them. And I totally understand it. But um, what was I just saying? Mm, uh, We assume, so we're afraid to ask questions. You can't, you can't assume about anybody. No. Yeah, if people were to look at me, they would never guess that I've been through an ounce of what I've been through. So, and you treat people differently when you assume their story, and it's there's the story that is actually true is always completely different than the one you wrote of them in your head. You know? Yeah, that's very true because we only know what other people share or show us. Mm-hmm. We don't always know the story behind it. And I always personally am so fascinated as to why people are the way they are or even why they make the decisions they do in their life. Hence why I did ask you, how did you not become an addict? Because it is intriguing, but also everyone's experience, even as siblings, is different. And It's wild. Yeah, and the connection that they have with their parental figures or other siblings, it all looks different. And my sister and I, we're only three years apart, but we also are very different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I used to question them, like, how are we even sisters? We're so different in these yeah. ways. But also there are commonalities that we have, and I'm thankful we can share that. Right. And with your brother, after the loss of your brother, what kind of impact did he leave on you? And what kind of legacy did he leave behind that you would want to share with the world? I love that question. Um yeah, because a lot of people just are like, how did you get through that? How did you whatever? And um, both valid questions, but um, he did he did leave something very special with me. And I think what impacted me the most about him was his spirit. So he pretty much was using drugs since he was about 14. Wow. So, yeah, he was just in that realm for a very long time. A decade and a half. He was an addict, of course, but something that is so interesting to me about people that are addicts is when you speak to them, they tend to be the most down-to-earth people (laughs) you'll ever meet. Um, And I think the reason for that is they see all the darkness that a lot of people, like at least darkness in that area, that not a lot of people go into so they just see the world from a different perspective but something about my brother is that he treated everyone exactly the same 
He didn't care, you know, what your job title was or how much money you had. And I think um, it's funny thinking back because I, I actually think that stems from um, I went to go see him whenever he was in a detox center or a psych ward or a rehab facility because he was in and out for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but whenever I would go see him, he would take me by everyone's room and introduce me and be like, this is John. He's he's blah, 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 blah. This is so-and-so. She can sing like I've never heard anyone sing. And he'd be like, go, Aisha, sing. And or she can draw and blah, blah, blah. And he just I remember him telling me, you know, addiction doesn't care what you look like, doesn't care if you're a judge, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, an artist. It does not matter. Uh, we're all human and we're all subject to the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so he just he just carried this um, with him like he could he could hold a conversation with anybody. He wasn't. He wasn't intimidated or afraid or anything because I think he just knew deep down we're all the same. I find that so beautiful. I, the addiction, people try to put people that have addiction in a box. Mm -hmm. And the impact that your brother left behind is that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Anyone is susceptible to addiction. It can happen to anyone. Yes, maybe genetically some people are predisposed to it. But, I mean, people are even addicted to things like TikTok or oh my God. other forms of A majority of, of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the majority. Yeah, it's so fascinating that we see, you know, a lot of parents, like, hate that their kids smoke weed or something, but then they go get drunk every night. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? Is there a difference? In my opinion, no. I think <laughs> yeah. I consider, as of late, I've considered alcohol a drug as well because it's also something oh, yeah. that your body can get addicted to. Yes. And it's a form of escapism. Mm -hmm. Same with scrolling on the phone. It can be a form of escapism, and we all kind of do that. However, I did listen to this on a podcast, and someone brought up the concept that they, when they were in rehab— Someone was actually there for an addiction for their phone. Wow. Yeah. And and at first she said a lot of people seemed surprised, but everyone was, you know, in an addiction center for different uh -huh. reasons. And she thinks that in the future we'll see more people coming into oh a rehab center for their phones. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. That is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'd, I've never heard that. I'd, I'd imagine that will come up more and more. Mm -hmm. because it's just it's just getting worse it seems yeah it is but yeah that's crazy yeah well thank you for sharing your story and pivoting a little bit more into the realm of fitness mm -hmm. what drew you to want to become a personal trainer because most people don't become personal trainers just because they look good so they want everyone else to look good too yeah. you have to have uh, a heart and you have to care about people and want to help other people on their fitness journey. Definitely. So I really want to know how did you, or not how, why did you become a personal trainer? It's so wild because I was just a member at Hotbox. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm like the trainer. But yeah, so for me, I was never the super sporty kid. In high school, I was very much into band. I was in the drum line. I was into art. I actually went out for track every year, but I didn't end up doing it because my best friend didn't make it. <laughs> um, so, like, I I had the idea that I'd 
you know, I was naturally good at sports, but I'd never explored it because my heart wasn't in it. Mm -hmm. And then um, it was my senior year of high school and I had the option to do PE or weights class. And I was like, screw PE. I'd rather like lift weights. And so I really enjoyed it there because partly because I was the only female that could keep up because I was in there with like the whole football team and you know, it felt good to be to be strong right. and to see it in that way, as in like physical strength, not just mm-hmm. like you're so strong. But I think it actually fitness in general started to be started to be more prevalent in my life when my oldest brother left the military. He was a Marine for six years and he was stationed in Japan and he was doing deadlifting comp- competitions and I would just see it. And think that it was really cool. And he was just my older brother. So I just, you know, thought he was so awesome. So when he moved back from Japan, I moved in with him. Uh, We were just buddies. And he started taking me to the gym. And I think just going with him, going with someone um, from the military, too, He made sure he kicked my ass (laughs) and I worked really hard and didn't like any time I was like, oh, my God, like this hurts, this whatever. He's like, go harder. He's like, you shouldn't be able to stand after a leg day. Whereas now, you know, I don't necessarily agree. But the energy is something that was amazing because we both grew up in the same home, perceived things differently, had our own struggles, obviously, but... I think it clicked for me when I saw him really use everything that we experienced and use it in the gym. Um, And I remember one time specifically after he won a deadlifting competition, he just told me, you know, whenever I'm about to go, I just close my eyes and I imagine all the weight of everything that we've experienced, everything I've experienced And when I lift it and release, I know that I can handle it. Like, I know that I can do anything now because I just lifted, you know, 500 pounds. So Mm -hmm. he, he, I guess you could say he taught me how to channel the pain and trauma and whatever I had experienced and really use it to make me actually physically stronger. And so for, for me... A big reason why I wanted to be a personal trainer was because I just healed so much in the gym. Um, I think a lot of times people spend a majority of their time so disconnected from their bodies. So being in the gym and for me, it was the gym. For some people, it's dancing or yoga or meditation. And, you know, I do all those other things. But the starting place for me was lifting weights And I think I needed something aggressive because my upbringing was aggressive. Like I needed, I needed a big dude from the military to be like, fucking lift it. You know, like I I needed someone to be aggressive with me. Yeah, that really inspired me. And then I just was thinking another reason I loved the gym was because it felt like everything in my life up until that point was out of my control. And the gym I had control over. I had control over taking myself there, making myself do hard things, lifting heavy weights and getting stronger physically because of it. And that made me more emotionally strong. And I just got to thinking, how great would it be if more women were set free? Mm 
Like if more women could realize how strong they are. Because it's not even that, you know, like a lot of it is just the strength and courage to show up every day and to try. Because some people really limit themselves and, you know, never put themselves in a position where they have that resistance and it makes them stronger. So, yeah, that's a long story as to why I I loved every bit of that story. I loved every bit of it. And gosh, because one, I can relate to it so much, too, that I channel my emotions and anything that I've been through and the harder times of my life, I've channeled that lifting. And Mm -hmm. I specifically power lift. And I still say that lifting weights is my main point of focus when I work out. And yoga is kind of my recovery, my mental piece, but also it's it's the zen so i have my yin mm-hmm. and my yang is what yeah. i call strength versus yoga Bubbly and badass yes yeah, yeah exactly the yin and the yang and we need both we need mm-hmm. a place where we can channel let out our aggression and aggression anger mm-hmm. those are healthy emotions when channeled in the right way and it's not at yeah. anyone you're releasing something mm-hmm. you're releasing something that is maybe boggled up inside that you need to move through your body mhm And I do believe in that, a form of somatic healing. If you've ever heard of somatic healing, it's a form of just moving emotions through you. And for me, I do find that through movement. Mm -hmm. And I will follow you know, strength one day for one thing. And I'll also do strength to be happy. I'll have Mm -hmm. a great day and feel positive and just feel confident and go under a bar and and rock it out and have fun. And then other days it is harder in the Mm -hmm. gym to get there, but it's it's that mental self-talk. And actually last night in the gym, at first when I was squatting, it felt a little harder than normal. And I was like, that's okay. Like you, you know, daylight savings just happened. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we're all a little thrown off, but I reminded myself, just keep giving yourself positive affirmations under the barbell. Mm. Because anytime you say, oh, this is too heavy. Oh, I don't think I can do this today. I really want to go down and wait. And there's a time and place to go down and wait. But I knew I was capable of it. And then each set, it felt a little bit better because I was talking to myself and talking myself into the lift and and building that self-confidence of, I know I'm capable. I know I'm strong enough to do this. And I've been here before. Yes, I've been here before. I've done this before. Lifting has really helped me build self-confidence, not just within my body, but within how I talk to myself. Oh, yeah. And the stories that we tell ourselves, and we know we're capable of doing this in the gym, so we know we're capable of capable of doing other hard things yep. as you mentioned circling mm-hmm. so back around to that yeah it's amazing one other thing that I've been interested in lately probably the past year is dance classes people that go know that there are different kinds there's contemporary jazz ballet hip-hop um, but I particularly love heels classes um, but I just mention it because you said you know doing hard things it it how you how you show up for yourself is how you show up to other things so it's like the way I had a dance teacher tell me one time she was like if you like how you do one thing is how you do all things so if you fuck up the routine don't walk off the stage because in life you're gonna fuck up you can't just leave what you you have to prove to yourself that you're gonna stick in it like you're gonna stay in it and you're gonna do the best that you can and you're not going to quit on yourself. And so each time I leave a dance class, it's like, 
I just strutted in front of 30 people that I don't know. I can do anything and no one can fuck with me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, but that's how it feels when you squat. Like I said, a squat PR a couple weeks ago and the the release from that was just like, I am so fucking strong, but not because I'm strong compared to you, right. because I did 100 pounds over what I did two months ago mm. like I'm stronger than her like that's it's just so cool that you can really channel everything that you've been through mm. and really prove to yourself that you're capable of doing hard things and it really does change how you show up in the world for yourself and for other people it really does and tapping into your inner badass that's what I consider that yeah. moment for you is that it's that feeling of I am a badass. Yeah. It's not, I just feel like I am. I want to be in that yeah. moment. You're like, I am. Yeah. And it's okay to call ourselves that. It's okay to have that piece of confidence. And you're right. It's not in comparison to anyone else. Yeah. It's just the self-confidence you have with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to apologize for it either. Like, no. Because it's inspiring. One of my One of my best female friends, her name's Holland, and she... I've taken her yoga class. Yes. I Holland. took her. Yes. I love her. Um, she's hosting, she hosts Goddess Flow, which is such a beautiful experience. You should come sometime. I'm going to. tonight. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, you should come with me. But it is an incredible experience because it's only women. It is, we, you do a meditation over your womb. You talk, you just talk to yourself. You practice looking at yourself in the mirror. Um, but something, and then you learn a dance and you perform for each other and you just have fun. There's zero pressure. It's amazing. Uh, but something that I love about her is that she doesn't talk down on herself. You know, she's so, it's inspiring to be around people that it's not that they aren't flawed, you know, they, they'll mention it, but it's we we can't just keep putting ourselves down like anytime she does something she's just like yeah I, f I fucked that up but I'm a human being mm -hmm. and I and I'm great mm -hmm. like I'm I'm headed towards greatness you know I'm headed you know she just speaks life into herself and being around people that do that in a humble authentic way encourages other people to do that for themselves like when I hang out with her or go to goddess flow or like hang out with my girls I leave feeling like I don't have to explain myself to anybody that I show up how I am and that's enough mm -hmm. and yeah so operating that way and speaking life into yourself encourages other people to do the same really so keep does. doing that keep doing yeah, it. Yeah, that's so inspiring. And it sounds like Holland really owns her mistakes and mm -hmm. takes responsibility, but doesn't give herself such a hard time. And oftentimes we can give ourselves a hard time and we might beat ourselves up for hours or days or weeks or months about one thing we did or something we did years ago and we mm -hmm. carry that with us. But if we learn to release and back to moving through it, mm -hmm. we don't have to carry that burden of that mistake that we did. We can release it and we can move forward and learn mm -hmm. from it. So that yeah. sounds like a powerful lesson from Holland. So yeah. thank you, Holland. Yes, thank you, Holland. <laughs> um, yeah, and also we're just we're just human. You know, that's it. We're going to mess up. Exactly. Every day, probably. <laughs> yeah. In some way, whether it's a negative thought that we we decided to hold on to um, 
or if it's something more intense, it's like we we beat ourselves up enough, you know. We got to just do the next right thing, mm-hmm. you know. So when you're having a hard day or maybe you're feeling a little bit down, what are things that you lean on or practices that you move towards to help your day feel a little bit better or to kind of reshape your mindset or energy, whatever you need for that day to feel a little better? Yeah. Um, For me, I've had more of these days recently. I don't know what it's been, probably the last two months, but I've found myself um, really just talking to myself. And I think it's so powerful to and difficult when you practice looking at yourself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and something that made a huge difference in my life and that I kind of turn to when I feel that way is I sit down and I kind of just have some silence and meditate in front of a mirror and I don't open my eyes or anything. Um, And when I feel ready, I open my eyes and I I look at her, which is what I call myself. Um, But just practicing looking at myself and asking her what she needs. You know what I mean? Because so often we're in our own bodies and we were like, no, we got to hustle. We got to finish making that whatever. We got to edit this. We got to get here. We got to show up for so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's like we live in this hustle culture where, at least in my experience, I went through a period of time where I always felt behind because there, there are these like 15-year-old kids blowing up on TikTok and they're famous and have all this money. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> At 16, I didn't even shave my legs, you know? So it's like, yeah, I was a wreck at 16. Um, so yeah, the culture and on social media, it just, we're bound to have more days like that. And we're constantly, you know, comparing ourselves, not intentionally either. It's just like, it's so hard not to. Um, but for me, when I have that moment of looking at her and saying, what is it that you need today? Do you need to move this client? Like, do you do you need to process something? Is there something you need to journal about? You know, and I just try to look from the outside in as if I'm a friend and I'm caring for myself because so often we get lost and the mayhem and like try to hold ourselves to the schedule or what we have to do or what we we have our own pressures that we put on ourselves, you know before society even does and it's like it's so often to feel it's so often that I feel like I'm failing in some way so it's nice to kind of come back to the ground and be like oh all of those external things actually don't matter they don't mean anything about you all that matters is where you are who you're with you're being present in the present moment because that's all you actually have like once I sit back and I'm like you know trying to look at myself and take care of myself as if I'm a friend from the outside I have this new compassion for myself and I'm able to just meet myself where I am as I do for other people or try to. And it's like, I have to remind myself, you know, sometimes you treat other people a lot better than you treat yourself. And I don't want to do that because unless I, unless I'm good, I can't help anybody. And I can't operate at my highest frequency 
if I am living in so much darkness in my head constantly. So not that it, I mean, it gets dark up here. So I think yeah. it's, it's important to um, just really have compassion for yourself and, you know, whatever it is you need to do that day, just do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm like, I need to lift today. Or sometimes it's, I don't need to lift today. I yeah. can't handle all the mirrors. Right. Like I, I just can't show up in that way. So I'm going to just roll around on the floor and stretch and like, you know, do whatever I need to do yes. to get it out through my body. Um, so, yeah, that's and, what I do. Yes. And when you're talking to her, you're really talking to your intuition or your higher self, mm. it sounds like. Yeah. And and because if we're in a place where we're maybe not in our higher self and we are part of the hustle culture, which I'm guilty of, Same. Uh, we all are. I yeah. mean, the pressures of today's society. So we have to constantly have t- uh, or we have to make time for those self check-ins mm-hmm. because without those self check-ins, we can succumb to hustle culture. And then all of a sudden we start to spiral down, which I've totally done and have done recently. Oh, and then yeah. you have to pull yourself back in. Mm-hmm. So I had a reflection in January to really reflect on what is it that is serving me in my life right now and what is it that's not what's holding me back from being my best self Mm -hmm. what's holding me back from showing up better for other people and uh, and optimally for other people and I let a few things go in my Mm -hmm. life uh, or obligations even I took some things off of my plate Mm work-wise and brought in new things on my plate or just really focused on the things that really truly fill my cup Mm. and when I leaned back on filling my cup I've now started to create these little habits that on a Saturday morning my favorite self-tradition is to wake up right away once I wake up out of bed sleep in though but get up right away Mm -hmm. grab my book grab my journal go to a coffee shop maybe go on a walk after, and then I'll eventually work out that day, whether it's yoga or strength. Mm -hmm. And that has helped me set up my personal day way better mentally because that's just a day that I look forward to refilling my cup, doing something for myself, but also reflecting on the previous week or even just being present in the moment that day. I just ask myself, what do I need today? Yeah. And I should probably do that more than one day, one day a week. <laughs> now listening to you, it's super inspirational, but I we truly, yeah, we all should. And, and honestly, before COVID, I can't say I did that enough or really much at all that mm. I, I didn't really take time to ask myself, well, what do I need in this moment? I didn't know my needs. Mm-hmm. I had to learn what my needs were and learn how to even be able to read my needs, whether it was physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. That you're allowed to have them too. And that you're allowed to have them, mm-hmm. yes. And that someone do. doesn't have to tell us what our needs are. We mm-hmm. we can ask ourselves because our we know best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's so important to be around people that – help you connect with yourself better mm-hmm. and help you listen to that voice. And even, yeah, when, when you talked about filling your cup, it, it reminded me, we, um, my boyfriend's family and I, we, we all went to Costa Rica a couple months ago and yeah, I saw that. one of the, uh, the tour guides, they were all amazing and just so thrilled to be taking people and showing them around their country. Like, They've been doing this job for 15 or 20 years and they still show up every day like it's the first time they've done it. Just so excited and it's very inspiring to see that because it's so different than the United States. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, we, we get excited for a lot of social media things or, you know, tran- transactional things or, um, you know, if I do this, maybe this person can introduce me to so-and-so and that can, you know, catapult this part of my business or whatever. And there's no, there's no hate to any of that, but I just got so inspired by how they just love to show up every day and show people around their country. And one of those days, one of the tour guides actually looked at me and he looked confused. And I was like, well, why, why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) You know, like, what's up? Do I have something on my face? (laughs) Um, And he was like, you work too much. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) How do you know my life? He's like, you work too much. He's like, he, he grabbed, I don't know where we were. I think it was dirt that he had in his hand, but he, he was like, imagine that this is rice. And he picked it up in his hand and he squeezed it. And he said, all the extra that I don't need just falls out. Anything that I don't have room for falls out. He said, only take as much of things as you need. And he said that the purpose of that in relation to work was only work as much as you need to because when you're working, oftentimes a majority of people's jobs, they're just giving themselves instead of filling themselves back up. Mm-hmm. So he said, when when you work, just work as much as you need to to do what you got to do, but take the time to pour back into yourself because when you're not working when you're doing the things you love and spending time around the people that care about you and love you and help you grow, that's when you fill back up. So then you can keep, you can keep going. But I thought that was a great visual because he's right. Like if you've ever held rice, Mm -hmm. it just falls out. Yeah. Whatever you can't hold. So he's like, it's not yours anyway. Like it's going to be overwhelming and overflow. Mm -hmm. Um, So just take what you need and leave what you don't. Right. And anxiety, depression, mental health in general. Yes, we're talking about it more, but I truly believe we are overstimulated. Mm. We're overstimulated. We are taxed. We have a lot of pressures. And even for me, a part of a lot of the pressures I felt was because I felt like I had to do and be everything Mm. in high school, whether it was music, being a multi-sport athlete, preparing for college. And in college, it's like you have to have all these extracurricular activities on top of having the educational piece. How do you do that? Yeah. Mm. And I've learned that's the foundation that's what initially taught us that we need to do and be all of these things Mm -hmm. in order to get to the next spot in order to get success yeah and we're slowly peeling back and the more that we have these conversations the more we can all have those self-realizations and even as a um as a society have those realizations that we don't need to do it all. Mm-mm. We don't we can try a bunch of things and see what sticks and see what we enjoy and what fills our cup, but also self-care is important, mm-hmm. filling back your cup. I I had this visual as you were explaining that. I imagined we should be like a figure 8, figure 8 and just looping like um Fill your cup and give back to other people. Fill your cup, mm. give back to other people. It should look more like a figure eight and something that just flows and is seamless yeah. rather than just facing one direction. Because we mm. also shouldn't be like all in ourselves either no. and, and solely, you know, constantly bailing on a friend every single time because, oh, I, I should stay in self-care, self-care like every single time. I think there's a level. Yeah. Um, there's a point of following through with your word, but then also being honest with a friend when you need to be mm-hmm. of... Have you ever heard of the spoon analogy? Mm-mm. Okay. 
I want to look more into it, but there is something called spoons. So we all are given spoons in a day. And your spoons can be your personal training clients. So you have certain appointments you have. You have your own workout as a spoon. Cooking your own meal as a spoon. Spending time with a friend as a spoon. And we only have so many spoons that we can give in a day. Mm. And so by the end of the day, maybe you have plans with a friend that night, but you've already used all of your spoons. Mm. And so it's kind of learning what is your level of spoons and learning how to measure it. And then being able to kind of calculate in your head throughout the day, okay, how many spoons do I spoons do I have left to give? Yeah. And can I give it or how can I replenish myself so I can gain another spoon? Right. That's so interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, that just reinforces, you know, really tuning into her and getting mm-hmm. to know what she needs, what her tolerance is and 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 to do that, you need to test yourself. You know, I you got to work the 90 hour weeks to see that you can't do that sustainably. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's important is to like show yourself what you're made of and what you're capable of, because I was even talking with one of my clients that is a therapist and she I, w- I was telling her I was just expressing because she was my last client of the day. I had eight people in a row and I started at 5:30. So I had everyone scheduled just back to back cuz that's what fit everyone's time schedules best. Um and you know, she was my last client and I was like, "Can I just express something?" <laughs> and she's like, "Well, of course." And so I just said, "You know, I feel defeated because I'm so exhausted right now. But so and so can train 11 people in a day." He does that every day. Why can't I do that? And she's like, you have to remember that not everyone shows up the same way. She said, you don't know how tuned in people are. You don't know how present people are. And she said, and from my experience working with you, you are completely present with me. And that takes a lot. It takes a lot to not be distracted by your own world and what's going on inside and to to really give yourself to another human one-on-one for hours back to back and yeah I thought that was so interesting because you know we all have different tolerances and we all operate in a different way and you know the person doing 12 sessions might not be completely emotionally present maybe that's why he can do it you know and that's and no hate it's just like I know now that about myself that that's not how I want to show up for my clients. And if I can only do six and that's my max, I need to respect that from myself and know that I still want to have something left for myself at the end of the day. I don't want to go home depleted every single day or my body is just so drained or not be able to show up for my family or my significant other or, you know, or myself because then it starts taking away from me. Yes, I say that too. You have to push your boundaries in order to know where they are. Mm -hmm. And I also did the same thing where I would have a few days a week where it was, I call it eight hours of physical work. That's Mm -hmm. what I, that's what I always explain when someone's like, oh, what do you have today for work? I say six hours of physical work, but that's what I call it because there's also the work before and after. My therapist brought this up one day. She said, and I did this. She she requested that I calculate how often I drive, how often I spend time writing workouts, how often I do other admin work, work, um, answering text, emails, on top of the physical work. Because yes, there's that aspect to it, but then there's also the emotional 
You're invested. Yeah, and you're invested. And I agree because I, I don't want to take on eight physical obligations anymore. I used to. And there, there are days I could do it and I could be fine because I had that mental preparedness. But I couldn't do it every day. And then I learned that six is a good cap, but I still need a break in between. Mm-hmm. And I can still do other other pieces of work in between. But I also had to learn what works for me and my body because I did get burned out. Mm-hmm. And... Also having a, a one at least one full day off where I don't touch any work. That's mm-hmm. also important. And every person's different. And people are now experimenting with the four-day work week. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of that. But some some offices and corporations, they're exploring with that. And, and some people are a lot happier working four days and more productive in those four days. Yeah. And then having three days off. So it's, it just looks that. different for everyone. And it's knowing what works for you and what you're satisfied giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we forget. And that's that's a great point. And something I need to think about is like rechecking it. I'm still learning what my boundaries are and what I can handle. Right. Um, but something for me that that came up in my mind when you were talking about that is, you know, I came from a very poor upbringing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't always have, right. you know, we we you know, we're on government assistance and food stamps and all these things. And it felt like there might not be enough one day. There was that fear in the back of your mind of, um, I can't let go of this or it'll leave me. Scarcity mindset a little Mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. So it's like when I first started, um, in personal training, I was, it was during COVID and well, after quarantine, but I was working at three restaurants and bars, and then I was training super early in the mornings um, because I knew I wanted to get into personal training, but I had to financially support myself. But I remember, you know, I got the opportunity to sub for a personal trainer here in Nashville while she left for a couple of months, and I jumped straight into, like, 45 hours of PT um, every week. And I hadn't had nearly that much before. And it was just every single day between seven and 10 clients. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot. But then when I was on my own, I found myself just so nervous that I wouldn't have clients and I wouldn't be able to provide for myself. But then they started just coming in. And now it's like, I, I can't even show up for, for everybody. Like I'm, having to put people on a waiting list, which is great. It's amazing. And that's a great place to be in. And I'm so, so thankful. But I did have this fear and I just kept taking people because I thought, well, so-and-so might not be here forever. Or am I going to be able to handle whatever financially? Or am I going to check off this box? And it's like, I just believe that what is meant for me will find me no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have to release that and be like, no, what do you need today? What do you need right now in your life? Like I used to work 12, 13, 14 hour shifts serving on my feet without stopping. So I think back to then and I'm like, why can't I do this in the same way? Well, it's a completely different form of work. It is. And it's a different amount of yourself that you're giving. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm just I'm learning now to that it's that it's okay that not everything's going to leave me in the blink of an eye but growing up I think being around addiction and a lot of struggle and uh 
not having a lot of money, it, it kind of always felt like anything could change on a dime. Mm-hmm. So it was like, even if so-and-so's in your life right now, even if you like your stepmom, she might not be around forever and it's probably going to end bad or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it just put me in this mindset that wasn't healthy because it kept me from being present where I was like, yeah. And so in my job now, I'm like, what do I need right now? It's important that I'm present with myself so that I can be present with other people and, and your needs do change. So yeah, it kind of helped me step out of that scarcity mindset. mindset. But that's just like, to me, I look back and I'm like, wow, that shows that I'm healing because I'm able to identify that I had that mindset and that I'm not in that place anymore. But even with my significant other, you know, sometimes if we get in a fight or something, it feels like the world is (laughs) ending or like our relationship is over. And he's like, what? No. Like, I love you. We're going to work it out. We just, you know, don't agree or didn't agree in that moment. But in my brain, because I have so much trauma based around, you know, abandonment, people leaving. Yeah. It's like you get so caught in that your body like identifies my body, at least when things get loud or when people don't agree. It's like, oh, my God, something big is about to shift. Something's going to happen and then I'll have to survive. Mm -hmm. So it's that fear of like not fear, but that just being stuck in survival mode. I don't think it's it's a great place to operate out of. No, I've definitely struggled with that, too, in past relationships. And in disagreements, I would straight up get headaches. Yeah. And just as soon as a disagreement would happen, like, I'd get a pounding headache <laughs> out of nowhere. And it was because I think there was something about the survival mode or my brain trying to process it. And, mm. and I would go to freeze mode, fearful mode, mm-hmm. and, you know, still working through some of those aspects, too. But it is interesting how pieces of our childhood or even things subconsciously that we went through growing up affect us as adults. Mm -hmm. But my question for you is, um, what inspired you to go on your healing journey? What inspired you to want to work through that scarcity mindset? What inspired you to want to be better for yourself? And how did you learn to meet her? Mm. That's a great question. I mean, Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is I was always the kid that didn't get into drugs or didn't do didn't get the cops called on them. You know, I was the the good, the good kid. kid. The yeah, good girl. the good kid in my family. Yeah. Um, so I was always that person, but a couple years before my brother died, I definitely started on this this journey of like trying to just keep my head on straight and I knew that I had things that I needed to mm-hmm. heal from and I I don't know like I I felt a responsibility for the people around me I felt a, a responsibility for my family I think which was healthy for me at that time um, because I think it helped me do better but at the end of the day we're we're not responsible for other people's healing completely, but I just felt this um, internal um, pull to be the best version of myself that I could be. And then when my brother passed away, it was kind of just the last, the last straw because, you know, 
at his funeral, some people there there are certain relationships that I allowed myself to stay in um, because they had always been in my life or I felt an obligation because we're connected by blood or they've been my friend forever or whatever. But I felt this obligation towards them. But when John Michael died, I had this moment of fuck no. (laughs) I'll be damned if I go my whole life allowing people to take advantage of me or manipulate me or stay with me when they're high and act like my truth isn't valid. Like all of these relationships that I had let stay present in my life that were just constantly taking from me and draining me. I no longer had a tolerance for it. Um, because I think the switch in my brain flipped of, I have a responsibility to live for my brother. Like it's, it's for me too. And I don't think maybe it's not a completely healthy way to look at it. But at the time I was like, you know, he's not here to do this anymore. I might as well do it the best way I can. And I don't know a better way than, you know, working on yourself and trying, trying to heal. Because I also knew, like a lot of people, when they meet me or get to know me, say, you're so mature, you're so whatever. And I, I appreciate that a lot. But as I've gotten older, probably the past two years since he passed, um, I've realized that I'm immature in a lot of ways because I didn't I didn't get to mature emotionally through some things. So I do come off as very mature and I do have a lot of wisdom. But at the same time, I have trauma that I'm having to I'm having to unpack and rewire the way that I think. So like growing up around a lot of addiction and and aggression or violence, you know, there's a lot of manipulation and a lot of um, just things that are very confusing. So you become very sensitive to people's shifts in their moods mm-hmm. and you take it personally. If you were acute, you know, like I would say something like, so-and-so, are you okay? Like, what's going on? No, I'm fine. You know, even though I know damn well that something was going on, I get criticized because I ask questions or because I want to help. So it's like, it's like learning things about myself in regards to how I show up in the world and how I, how I am, I guess I want to unpack that because I, I feel a responsibility to be my authentic self, um, as much as I can, because I think the world needs our most authentic self. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, in tune to what, to what you need. And I, I've just over the past couple of years seen how we're all so interconnected. Like it, you know, Holland's energy rubs off on me. Mm-hmm. Your energy rubs off on me. Um, Likewise. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's just so important and a responsibility that I feel at least to work on myself so that I can be 
there not only for myself on my really hard days and my good days, but show up for my partner the way that he needs me. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't do that if I'm not keeping myself in check, you know. Absolutely. There's a lot to unpack there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. And I appreciate every little bit of that. Stay tuned for part two coming out soon. Be on the lookout. Reminder to go ahead and follow Badass Mind and Body on Instagram. Subscribe to stay tuned for the next episode. See you next time.